I'm reading to you out of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading verses 11 and 12. It says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. I did not ask you to stand today for that, because tonight we consider several things. It's over. Jesus is getting ready. He's having his final words with the disciples, preparing them for his departure. What would you say if you knew and nobody else knew that you would soon be leaving them permanently? What final words would you say? He chose several recorded in John 14, 13, 15, 16, and 17. The truth is, some things in life end. Some of those things are expected. Some are not. For example, the end of the school year. We expect that. We hope for that in May. Or the end of the day. Sometimes a day can be very, very long. Although life can be very short. And we're thankful for the end of the day. Or maybe the end of a week. We start a fresh week on Sunday morning. Ready to face a new week. But the end of the week. Or the beginning of the week. Depending on how you look at it. Or some people look forward to the end of the month. A new month begins. Some people look forward to an end of a movie. Or they look at the end of a book. Sometimes there's an end of a series. Whether it's a TV series or a sports series or any other kind of series. These are known. There's an end of an era which we can look back on and see. There's the end of a game. And there is end of the work day. All these things we pretty much can say they're expected. We know that they're going to happen. And the Bible talks about ends. In Revelation it talks about the end of pain. The end of tears and sorrow. The end of darkness. That there will be no night. For Christ shall be our light. It says there will be the end of death. And the end of sin's power. And there was for some in the Old Testament, the end of life in Jerusalem when the Babylonian captivity occurred. For them, it was the end of hope for their nation, for what they wanted. And there is sometimes an unexpected end of life. When we come to difficult situations, hope is what we need. We need hope. It's what helps us get to the other side of grief or loss. When we hear it's over, fatal, final, last rites, final words, 
lowering the body into the grave over seems permanent. Yet we still hold on to a God-sized miracle that God says there's life after this one. We have hope even in that kind of loss. If we don't see an ending, we need a God-sized miracle. Wouldn't you agree? When hope is gone, when it's over, we know that life is going to change permanently. The end of a relationship, the end of a friendship, the end of a career, the end of a, of a position, the end of a residency or a place where you live and you relocate. Those things know when they happen, they're either forced or chosen. And when they're forced, life has a serious change coming. When that happens, when loss or grief or a sudden change happens, if we do not contemplate the outcomes in our life that we didn't want or didn't expect, we can never adequately live out or express our gratitude for what God has done before that. Because we think it's over rather than we're thankful for having experienced it. In the Babylonian captivity, it was the last of the people were taken to Babylon for 70 year captivity. They didn't know how long. But they left their beloved Jerusalem, their homeland, by force, taken away captive by the king. And while they were there, in a sense of hopelessness, they asked them to do something. They asked the Jews in captivity to do something because they were known for the melody in their song, in their singing. And here's what it says in Psalm 137. It's the only psalm that doesn't end positively and happy. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. There's no gratitude for the loss just remembering and weeping for what was that was stripped from them. Answering those questions of where is God? How are we going to live in this land? How do we serve God? Our beloved temple, our sacrifices, all those things that give us peace with God are gone. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of Babylon not to play them anymore. We would not sing our songs for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us required mirth, requested a joyful noise, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion that you celebrate. We want to hear it. How you celebrated. We want you to be make merry. And he says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my highest and chief joy. 
Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. And say, why should burn? As they were taken captive. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have done to us. Happy will that one be. Happy will be the one who takes and dashes your little children against rocks. How can you sing a song in pain and anger? Yet this is the mood that Jesus is in the night that this Monday Thursday celebrates. He even is troubled, it tells us, that his soul is distressed as he says, one of you is now going to betray me. One who has communion with me. Been with us all this time. And he betrays me tonight. Deeply disturbed. In that, he does not sing. Later it records that they sang a song together and went out to the Mount of Olives, but we know not how Jesus sang it. But we do know that when he prayed in the Mount of Olives, he prayed and sweated drops of blood. It was not a time of mirth. It was not a time of joy. But for the disciples, they knew not what time it was. Jesus, the peace offering. Without it, we remain the enemies of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it talks about us that we who are Gentiles made as it were the wrath of God called the uncircumcision by those who are the circumcision. Meaning Judaism. The Israelite kingdom said you have no part with us. Because you're not one of us. At that time, says Paul, you were without Christ. You were alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Having no hope. Hear that. Without Christ, you have no hope. And you have no God in this world without Christ. Christ is your Lord or you don't have one. Christ was about to be stripped away from the disciples. Jesus promised to be our peace. In that same chapter, just a couple verses later, verse 14, it says, He Himself is our peace. Listen to what He did. He made us both one, the commonwealth of Israel and the Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, the one that kept us from being able to come to the temple. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. 
And He came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. We all get access because of Him. We must understand what Christ did for us. We must. To do this, we must remove the works and sacrifice of Christ from us to contemplate life had He not come. Had Christ not come when He did, or at all. The disciples face this truth of contemplation that I'm asking you to do tonight. What did they do when it happened? If you look at Peter, he's one good example of what the disciples did when Jesus was taken captive. In Mark 14, it records, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Jesus had been taken away and he's watching from a distance. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Do you see what Peter did when they took him away for fear of his own life? Rather than follow and be faithful, he protected himself in his own life. And the second time, the rooster crowed when he denied him the third time. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. At that moment, Peter understood what he did. That he abandoned the one who loved him. And he, when he thought about it, he wept. That's what one of the disciples did. Most of them are gone. We don't even know where they are at this time. The only one that's hanging around is John. That's it. But the prophecy said, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. And they did. They left him alone. To face his circumstances. They were not defending him. They were not protecting him. They were not doing anything but keeping their distance out of fear of man. Peter, I believe, saw the end because this has been building for a while. All these things the Jews wanted to do to him. And he lost hope when they took him captive and were going to take him to trial. He knew this was the end. He knew that Jesus was going to be unable to continue what he was doing before and he gave up and he denied the one he swore he would follow the going was tough the end seemed near 
It's over, he thought. He knew it was over. There was no question they weren't going to let Jesus out of this alive in his mind. He jumped ship into the waves of a future without Jesus. And later we find, not much later either, he's back fishing. He goes back to his old life. A life before Jesus. Do you know what it's like to face the end of a thing without Jesus? To contemplate a life had Jesus not come? Do you know what that's like? It means that we are without hope and an enemy of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this. We also conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath of God, just as everyone else. By nature, deserving God's wrath. And no hope to end that. We weren't included. We were not included in Old Testament in terms of God's kingdom, hope, healing, and eternity. We were not a part. Tonight, I'm asking you to contemplate that. Jesus is our peace offering. But had He not come, we're stuck with sin's power reigning over us. And no way to obtain mercy, grace, eternity, or salvation. There was no way to do it. There was no way written in the Old Testament that you could obtain salvation except being perfect. And we all blew that one early on. Tonight, I'm asking you to think about what you would be doing right now had Christ not come. How would you be living your life? How would your life have been different? Because there would be no church. There would be no charitable loving acts or kindness based on the Holy Spirit and God and the commandments of God. And Jesus says, love one another. The love of God would not be there. It would only be a wrathful, vengeful God portrayed in the Old Testament, not a loving Father. And the Old Testament wouldn't apply to us anyway because we weren't included. So how would your life be different right now without Him? How would this world be if people didn't love because He first loved us? It's a difficult question to ask. But during Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, traditionally and for the disciples, started a period of silence without Christ. 
They called it the dark days of Holy Week. They, they, you might say, good Friday. The only thing good about it is Jesus was crucified, but that wasn't good for them because He was gone. It was over. And that dark Saturday where they had to sit behind closed doors and do no work and wonder what was next and live in that fear of complete darkness knowing there was no more Jesus. That darkness is the darkness we contemplate. He's the light of the world. Without it, we walk in darkness. For three days, while Christ lay dead, they knew of a world without Him. And we must think about that. Or else Easter celebration seems less valuable because we lose the luster and the power of what Jesus did if we don't remember what our life would be had He not. God help us to remember, to consider. Some things ended for the disciples and they did not know. And sometimes those endings bring a new beginning. And tonight I ask that as we come to the close of this service, to the end of it, that You would remind us that we are able and available to consider a world without You because there is a world around us that lives as if You do not exist. But Lord, I'm asking that You'd help us to consider if it were actually the truth. And to consider it deeply. Not shallow, not superficially for a moment, but to seriously contemplate how our lives and world would be different without Jesus. Had He not come. And how could we even look at you ourselves and say, God, have mercy because you're not a merciful God to those who don't get a chance to know you. God, thank you for your work in us and through us. And tonight, help us enter into this time of reflection by your Holy Spirit. Amen.